Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi there, and welcome to Stock Club, a podcast brought to you by My Wall Street. I'm Mike, and joining me on today's episode are Rory and Amory from the My Wall Street analyst team. Today we're talking about the rise of TikTok, the demise of Klarna, and the buy now, pay later industry, and we discuss cyclical stocks and their benefits. You know the story by now. I want to remind you that you can have an extended version of Stock Club that you can listen to exclusively in the My Wall Street app. At the end of the show, Amory and Rory are going to pitch two companies to me that they have their eye on at the minute. I'll pick my favorite, and in the extended episode, you can hear the full discussion we have as we try to figure out whether it's a good investment or not. There's a link to the episode in the notes for this show, so if you want to hear the extended elevator pitch, just tap that to head on over to My Wall Street. Right, got that out of the way. Uh, how are we doing today, lads? Good. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Has Has anyone seen the new uh, TikTok trend where people dress up in suits and go to the new Minions movie? I have. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's giving me a lot of laughs. It's amazing. <laughs> they're having They're having to ban people in suits. It's like an anti dress code in UK cinemas. <laughs> Why? Why are they ruining this fun and wholesome thing that's happening? Because <laughs> they were shouting at the screen. I think like they were having trying to have like an interactive experience, and like people were bringing their children to the same showings, and I think it was just a bit disastrous. Well, they should you know make a special showing for the guys who want to wear suits. They do special <laughs> showings for other people. Yeah, I think everyone was worried about the death of cinema with streaming and covid and everything but minions rise of grew has been has been the <laughs> catalyst to relight it when isle of dogs came out one of the cinemas here had a special dog showing where you could bring your dog to watch it there you go there you go I thought Jesus, I, these cinemas need to innovate stop stop do. prohibition let's let's make some money here come on <laughs> didn't love that movie though what? why i don't know i thought it was going to be like fantastic mr fox and it wasn't as good i really liked it yeah Right, moving on before we get way too distracted. <laughs> so, Rory, what do you think of all of Wes Anderson's films, chronologically? <laughs> Shall I rank them? Let's start with uh, Bottle Rocket and go from there. <laughs> <laughs> My least favorite one. My least favorite. Um, yeah, he started, okay. he started slow. He started slow, like this podcast. Uh, <laughs> right. Moving on to actual news then. Bloomberg reported this week that TikTok is on track to triple its revenue this year to $12 billion. Like we know kind of TikTok has taken over the world, basically. It was the most downloaded app in 2021. Its reported users are much more engaged than other social media apps. I think the average user spends 29 hours a month on TikTok. That was more than Facebook and Instagram combined. Anne-Marie, you're kind of becoming our resident TikTok expert at this stage. What does this mean for other social media companies and even the wider advertising industry. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. I know Facebook is certainly panicking. If you take a look at Instagram these days, it looks exactly like TikTok. So it's pretty clear Facebook's trying to recreate some of the magic over there. Um, mm. Also, and I like absolutely love... your campaigns and stuff as well, isn't it? Yeah, that, I was just about to say that I absolutely loved and we got that leak about six weeks ago that showed that Meta had allegedly hired political consultants to run campaigns against TikTok in the US, including op-eds and letters to regional news outlets targeting the app. So that was my favorite nothing ever came of that it was like that came out in the news and then just nothing happened we were all like oh yeah fair enough like smear campaigns being yeah. run by facebook that's that's old hat they invented this like tiktok trend called slap a teacher that just didn't exist or something yeah like, that's I think people just, are which... just people are just not shocked at all facebook is going to facebook don't worry about it like <laughs> It's awful. I would love to be in that meeting where they proposed what will be the, the horrible trends that we'll unleash onto TikTok and then they came down to it and they said, You know what, slap a teacher, yeah, we'll go with that one. Yeah. Now let's get the let's get the hashtag up. They've been they haven't been through anything already. Yeah. Um, but really, I'd say TikTok is probably a threat to anywhere that sells advertising because the platform's use of short form video is like a drug to the brain. Um it's it's something like 20 people are spending 29 hours a month on the platform, the average user is. So if I was a business looking to for a place to put my ads, that would probably be my my first port of call, especially if you're trying to target like anyone under the age of 30, probably. Um, and it actually really reminds me of that Reed Hastings quote from a couple of years ago um, in terms of Netflix, that, oh, Netflix's biggest competitor is sleep. Well, right on sleep's heels at this point must be TikTok. And um, really from a dollar and cents framework in the United States, TikTok is charging $2.6 million for a one-day run of a top view ad, which means that when a user opens the app, that's the first video that they will be shown. And just in comparison, a 30-second Super Bowl ad runs about $6.5 million. So TikTok is essentially selling a Super Bowl ad every day, which is just phenomenal. And in my view, that's a legitimate threat to Google, Meta, and probably Netflix, which is about to introduce ads. Um, Blake Chandley, who's TikTok's president for Global Business Solutions, said, um, when people think branding, they still think TV. And I think that's just wrong. We should be purposely disrupting TV. So it, it looks like TikTok is coming for absolutely anybody in the advertisement space. Yeah, that's mad. Super Bowl ad every day. Uh, beyond advertising, then, I saw it has big plans in e-commerce as well. And I think this is coming from uh, ByteDance's other companies, especially the Chinese company Douyin. Should Amazon also be quaking in its boots? Is, does TikTok have just big tech on a dartboard? Maybe. I mean, the video sharing platform basically now lets merchants in certain markets. So I think so far it's it's only Britain, uh, Indonesia, and Thailand allow some e-commerce sites to basically circumvent any type of traditional e-commerce or advertisement platform and just sell straight through TikTok, which is actually quite innovative. However, I would say probably in the United States, Amazon's fulfillment capability it will be enough of a moat to keep them like top dog for a little while, especially when it comes to kind of traditional purchases, you know, if people are buying stuff in bulk or kind of stuff from traditional big brands, where I could actually see TikTok probably having the biggest impact in the near term future would probably be for smaller sellers, some of which, to be fair, do find themselves on Amazon, but many of who are actually on Etsy. So I'd be interested to see something there because TikTok's like whole mantra has always been to these users, don't make ads, make TikToks. And that has meant that small artists, people who can be really creative, actually do really well on TikTok and they can then just direct eager shoppers directly to their storefronts often which are on etsy i actually just this week bought like a screen printed t-shirt from an artist who i found on tiktok and then i like went through what, like a link and went to their etsy page and bought a t-shirt so if tiktok was able to undercut etsy in terms of seller fees or was able to set up like an easier to use shop front that was fully integrated into the app i could see that actually having a pretty big impact for those smaller sellers but like who knows like over time like maybe there'll be a legitimate threat to 
enough of Amazon's operation. So really, like no one is safe. Meta, Google, Amazon, and even Netflix could all see ad spending and usage drop because of TikTok. And so I guess we could almost call it the fan killer. Mm. It's interesting how everything kind of comes full circle. Like this is basically QVC TV, live TV (laughs) shopping once again in a new form. That's amazing. But um, moving on then and looking at kind of the legal landscape of things, how are regulators going to feel about a a Chinese-owned business having this much influence? It It was only two years ago that we had that circus happen where Oracle basically agreed to buy TikTok and then it just fell through. Yeah, we really, in terms of regulation, are going to have two issues. And the first one is that TikTok has always promised to United States regulators that U.S. data will be stored in the United States. It will not be stored um, in China or on Chinese servers. And this has always been because they've been they've been worried that there will be an influence on American commercial, cultural, or political behavior by Chinese officials or by, you know, like members of the Chinese Communist Party who are within TikTok. But TikTok has like repeatedly stated that American data is stored in the U.S. However, there was a leaked audio last week that made its way to BuzzFeed News, and it was from an internal TikTok meeting, which showed Chinese engineers accessing American data and using it. So that set off a bunch of alarm bells, particularly for a number of Republican representatives in the U.S. government. So then TikTok was forced to release a statement saying that it would limit these connections between American data and and Chinese engineering teams, and that it wouldn't happen again, blah, blah, blah. So data storage is probably going to be the primary concern and the most likely thing that would result in some sort of of regulation or maybe TikTok being temporarily removed from an app store. In terms of advertising, the issue would be if it was considered a monopoly, which is like similar concerns that have been voiced about Facebook or Meta um, and Google in the past, where people argue this is an advertisement monopoly. Particularly, we saw like leaked documentation come out last month that showed that Facebook and Google were actually working with one another and negotiating ad rates with one another to ensure that they weren't cannibalizing one another. And so that was a huge concern, and that has raised an antitrust investigation. The case for TikTok will be a bit more difficult because in order to bring an antitrust uh, lawsuit in the United States, you have to prove that the monopoly is harmful to consumers. Which as of right now, I don't like I'm not in like inside TikTok and also because they're not a public company, we're a little bit limited in terms of access. But as of right now, I would see that as being difficult to prove. But yeah, maybe in the future, like they could probably have some sort of statistical analysis that proved that only companies big enough and willing to pay a huge amount of money to get onto TikTok will be were being showed to consumers and that is somehow harmful. Um, so as of right now, the main regulation concern is going to be data. But yeah, in the future, it could be an advertisement monopoly concern. Yeah. And then like on the other side of this as well, we were saying it's a Chinese owned business. How does the Chinese government feel about TikTok's global presence? So I think we've already seen its founder step down from the CEO position amid political pressure and they've had to cut off a number of different businesses. I think it was a stock stock trading platform and its venture capital firm and this kind of stuff. And we've seen with Ant Financial as well, the kind of the strings the Chinese government can pull when it comes to a company it feels getting too much power. Does TikTok fall into this bracket too? Yeah, this is kind of going to be one of those answers where I'm going to say a whole lot and in in the end say absolutely nothing at all. It's going to be quite (laughs) difficult to say. Yeah. So Um, China, Amory, break that down for us there. Uh, the Chinese government is uh, actually quite limiting of TikTok domestically. It actually only allows people under the age of 18 to use the app for 45 minutes a day. There's like a full national limit on it, which is quite interesting. So uh, it's it's funny to see that the Chinese government is very aware that the app is very addictive and that 
that could make the company extremely powerful, but they do not seem in any way interested in helping regulate or limit its reach internationally. They seem to be totally fine with American children spending 30 hours a week on the platform. But in terms of comparing TikTok probably to other large tech companies within China, it is true the Chinese government has previously threatened to break up large and wealthy tech companies. They stated the desire to break up Alibaba's payment app into three separate companies last September, but that actually hasn't happened. They just threatened to do it. It deeply impacted Alibaba's stock price. And then like nothing has yet come of it. Like it hasn't been broken up yet. I'm sure if TikTok grew too powerful and had enough influence, the Chinese government could try and regulate it. But I would assume they could probably only regulate parts of the company that exist with inside China. Again, TikTok, in an effort to appease US regulators, has always stated that, oh, you know, the US part of the business is, is a separate entity, that Chinese officials will not be involved, that they have no influence on the internal workings of the company. We don't know if that is true or not. But if it is the case, I would say, you know, maybe in the future, we would see TikTok be broken up that its e-commerce segment was had to be separate from its advertising segment had to be separate from, you know, whatever, I don't know, they're probably going to go into streaming content if we're being realistic, like in 10 years time, TikTok will be up at the Oscars, like getting best picture or something like that. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them maybe break the company up into different segments. But as of right now, it kind of seems okay. But like, you never put anything past the Chinese government, they could turn around tomorrow and shut the whole company down. So, Mm. so we'll wait and see. What do you think, Rory? Have you ever ticked and or talked in your time? <laughs> no, I haven't. No. I do think they should already be at the Oscars, though, for that cat that just looks at glasses of red wine with sad music playing. Oh, behind yeah. <laughs> that is excellent. Best yeah. short. <laughs> I read somewhere that uh, TikTok were exploring a a separate IPO and perhaps even an American IPO. Mm. Would the Chinese government let them do that? or? I don't know. Like It could be possible, yeah, yeah. that they could... I mean, I think the U.S. government would much, much, much prefer it if it was a like an entirely spun off separate entity altogether. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Mm. I do. I work with them. Um, sorry, not that I work with. I know someone who works in the music industry uh, who I was with this weekend who's telling me that like TikTok is now their number one channel in terms of distributing music. It's It's gone past Spotify very rapidly to where they're trying so hard to get songs on TikTok. That's how you measure success now in the music industry is can you get your music up on Spotify? Can you get it trending in some sort of TikTok mm-hmm. trend? Um, so it's amazing how many kind of areas of business TikTok has kind of gone into at such a rapid pace. Yeah. Kate, Kate Bush is laughing all the way to the bank. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Right, it definitely uh, like made Olivia Rodrigo's career. Like she went so yeah. well on TikTok, and that is that's she it. She won four isn't Grammys it? last year. Yeah, right. I think we could stay on TikTok for twenty nine hours, but we'll move on to uh, Klarna. So the Swedish buy now pay later platform has had a significant change in fortunes as of late. It raised money in June of twenty twenty one at a valuation of forty five point six billion. The Wall Street Journal reported this week that the company is now looking to raise new money at a valuation of just six point five billion. Uh, we must note as well that this hasn't been confirmed yet, but and we hope there's no news come out between recording and publishing this podcast. But uh, that is a pretty steep drop. Uh, there's a lot to unravel here, but let's start with the BNPL industry first. This was a huge hype machine last year, but it seems like investors are kind of turning their backs on the business model. Rory, what are your thoughts on the landscape at the minute? Do you have any confidence in these businesses long term? I suppose, yeah, I mean, I suppose going back a few years and kind of remembering what was happening when this kind of kicked off, this kind of buy now, pay later craze, it's it's sort of up for debate on who kind of created created it. 
Klarna was certainly one of the first companies that was kind of built around it. They set up operations way back in 2005. Um, Affirm and Afterpay, who are kind of the other big names in the space, started around kind of 2012, 2014 time. But for many years, this was a pretty niche industry. There were kind of some retailers who tested it, but, you know, not really any kind of household names. It wasn't exactly kind of advertised prominently, even when it was being offered by retailers. One of the big ways kind of retailers kind of promote their customers spending more money has typically been these kind of store brand credit cards. Um, They're much bigger, actually, in the US than they are here in Europe. Um, But the kind of big company that issued those cards was called Synchrony. Um, and a few years ago, Walmart was having a dispute with Synchrony and they were going to get frustrated that Synchrony wasn't approving enough for their customers for these branded cards. Uh, and there's plenty of reasons why wouldn't one wouldn't get approved. But obviously the big kind of factor when being approved for any sort of credit is your credit score. And what they were finding was younger consumers in particular were very suspicious of credit following the financial crisis. And many of them, I think up to 53 million people in America, didn't have a credit score at all. Um, so it was really impossible for them to issue these these cards. So, you know, along came this fintech startup called Affirm and said to Walmart, we can give those consumers credit. It's not the same as, as a branded card, but um, essentially they can use this buy now, pay later functionality, which will let them purchase, which will increase their purchasing power. Um, and we don't need a credit score. We've got hundreds of other data points that we use. We look at their job, we look at their social media, we look at the item itself, and we have an algorithm that can determine credit worthiness. And in 2019, Walmart dropped Synchrony as their as their card issuer. I think they ended up um, partnering up with Capital One. But at the same time, they introduced this buy now, pay later functionality with a, with, with a firm. And, and really, this was when buy now, pay later really entered the mainstream in, turn of, in terms of kind of retailers' willingness to accept it or at least to test it out you know walmart you know one of the biggest retailers in the world was accepting this and and very quickly other retailers started following suit and now kind of depending on what country you're in there's so many retailers accepting there is some form of a buy now pay later option and hundreds of millions of people around the world are users of one of these of the big three companies we've we've mentioned so far we know as well apple is uh, talking about launching a similar service paypal is getting involved um block formerly square they acquired afterpay last year in a 29 billion dollar deal that's so, looking expensive right now <laughs> so it's <certainly> <laughs> yeah. so just buy now pay later has kind of certainly entered the chat as the kids would say um and it's, it led to some very steep rises in valuations for these business. You know, a firm which went public back in January last year and um, was at one point valued around 50 billion. Uh, that was just back in November, you know, just over six months ago. Uh, Klarna, which had raised money previously in Q2 19 at a valuation of 5.5 billion, raised money just last June at a valuation of 46 billion. So, you know, as we've seen now, those valuations have fallen pretty sharply. A firm's down kind of 85, 90% from its all-time highs. Klarna's valuation has dropped back basically to where it was um, in 2019. Uh, and it's they're pretty much following the trends uh, that we saw with kind of the stay-at-home stocks. Obviously, e-commerce got a big surge in popularity during the pandemic, that which you know, likely fueled a lot of interest in these buy-now-pay-later companies. And I think kind of obviously another factor in this is it's a model that hasn't really been tested in a downturn, um, at least at this scale. Uh, the f- you know 
the fear is that it's, you know, it's fine to make riskier loans in good times. Uh, but when things start turning south, that's when uh, those risks come back to bite you. And I think it was Mark Rubenstein actually wrote a really excellent piece in the Washington Post this week in which he points out that these businesses are kind of exposed to three separate cycles um, and those cycles can occasionally overlap, which is kind of really what's happening right now. The first is the credit cycle. Um, so, you you know, you have this risk that your borrowers aren't as credit worthy as your traditional lenders typically are. And that is already showing itself, I think, in the second half of last year, Klarna saw its loan losses increase to 7.7%. Um, that's huge. That's versus kind of a 1% average uh, in US consumer credit. Uh, the second cycle is the funding cycle, which these companies use various models in order to fund essentially what essentially the credit that they're giving out to people. Um, a firm sells on its loans uh, as securitization to other businesses and they've had to increase yields dramatically just in the last couple of months so i think last month it was they were selling at a 5.6 percent yield that was up from 4.3 percent in april so they're having to spend more money to to get this money to give out to consumers and then finally is the equity cycle um which we've already discussed in terms of those valuations just getting out of control and falling rapidly back down to earth and that that limits the amount of money you can raise it limits you know what you're able to do with your stock so there's kind of three bad things happening to these businesses all at one time and because investors have never seen what's happened to companies like this it's it's not surprising that they're they're getting quite nervous yeah definitely chappy waters you mentioned a firm there and i suppose the comparison here is 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 a drop like this kind of more jarring for a private company than a public company so a firm you said lost 80 85 percent of its value over the course of a year while it seems like Clarina almost lost it overnight yeah it's like i mean it does seem that way to outsiders i suppose i mean yeah. we we know this is all happening in the background um, even if it's not as visible to us on a kind of day-to-day basis when you have kind of the liquidity of, a, of the public markets. But, um, you know, I, I think, you know, if we're to believe reports, it, it was quite a shock to Klarna who entered into this round thinking that they could raise money at around the 45 billion mark. Um, they came back to investors and said they'd reduced that to 30, that no one was buying then, then they reduced to 15, and they still couldn't find buyers. So this is this has led to... This six point five billion that we're hearing now, of course, this, these are just reports. We don't even know if this is this is um, real or whether that whether that deal is going to go through. But perhaps they were just being over optimistic with that forty five billion to begin with. But yeah, I mean, it's it's it is a, a very steep and dramatic haircut given given kind of the trajectory these businesses were on. But I suppose if you take a firm, you know, they're kind of matching each other here. <laughs> if you're if you're going to look at the two businesses, they've both kind of followed the exact same trend in terms of that rapid rise. Uh, throughout last year and now quite a steep fall Mm. and zooming out then you know is this kind of you talked about valuations there and stuff getting out of hand especially kind of these tech companies that were loved over the course of the pandemic is this indicative of kind of a wider reevaluation of tech tech companies on the whole both private and public you know we've seen a number of layoffs recently including Clarna in May you know, are the companies kind of getting this post-pandemic hangover from growing too fast when, when the good times were good? Um, absolutely, <laughs> you said that. They had so many businesses out there, um, who you know, even you know, we've even seen huge businesses like Amazon 
uh, come out and say that they massively over overestimated the growth that they were seeing in the that what they were seeing in the pandemic was going to carry on that it wasn't a pull forward but even if you look even specifically at Klarna there's been a lot of private money floating around over the last decade when you think of Klarna it was actually profitable it was a profitable business um six months after it started operations way back in 2005 um and then you know a lot of cheap capital was was presented to them uh, and he said look take all this money expand rapidly and they did that that's driven up costs massively you know they've booked well over a billion dollars in operating losses since 2019 and meanwhile you know at one point the stock was skyrocketing it went up to i think nearly 40 times revenue and as soon as that cheap capital dries up you know your valuation collapses that's that's a, a tale as old as time but very um very prominent over the last 10 years and, and specifically over the last kind of couple of months we've seen it quite quite clearly very nice so if you're just tuning in and you need the tldr rory loves buy now pay later <laughs> bye 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 <laughs> I, know, I, I mean, not particularly against them but just te- really just kind of to saying the facts here you gave a lot of reasons why <laughs> right don't forget that if you listen to this podcast in the my wall street app you get the full version of one of our elevator pitches at the end of this episode completely free to listen to episodes of stock club on the my wall street app all you need to do is download the my wall street app on the ios or android and create a my wall street account there's a new link in today's show so just tap that and enjoy more stock club right let's dig into the mailbag so we have a question come into us about cyclicals and in particular what type of stocks might do well in a recession amory can you talk to us a bit about cyclical stocks and how they work yeah, so just a bit of a definition here. A cyclical stock is a stock that's price is affected by macroeconomic conditions. So they tend to be companies that sell stuff that do well when people make a lot of discretionary spending. So they're discretionary items, and that can look like car manufacturers, airlines, furniture retailers, clothing stores, hotels, and restaurants. Um, and so obviously people are nervous that we're heading into you know, a recession and inflation is very high. So they're looking for maybe some recession proof stocks, maybe some ones that can weather the storm. The interesting thing about that, though, is we've actually seen a number of stocks that you would normally consider recession proof, such as just like general goods stores, places that sell, you know, food and essentials have been caught off guard recently in terms of stock and product range. So because of supply chain issues, a lot of companies have been over ordering, but the ordering that they were doing was being colored by consumer taste during the pandemic. So and this happened to clothing stores, but also like big names like Target and Walmart. Um, As we have kind of exited the pandemic to some extent, um, consumer tastes have shifted really, really rapidly. And that has now meant that a number of retailers are stuck with back stock that they cannot sell because it's, you know, pajamas and blankets and stuff that people aren't interested in right now. Banana bread ingredients. Yeah. You know, like sourdough starters. There's probably (laughs) walls and walls of sourdough starters sitting in Target right now. Um, And so that means a lot of retailers are being forced off for pretty deep discounts and, and their stocks have reflected this target is down quite substantially upon the news that they were going to have to discount stock. Um, Luckily, my favorite stock will stand in defiance of this, which everyone knows Costco. And that's just down to the mathematics of their stores. So each Costco location has about 10,000 items compared to a target, which could have over 100,000 different items. And this it's always been like this at Costco. Um, And these items don't really change throughout the year. 
Costco does have a seasonal section in each of its locations, but it's quite small. You know, it'd be like Christmas time, they bring in Christmas trees and maybe a few ornaments, but like nothing significant. And so that means that Costco is much more well positioned to overcome this short term headwind of stock issues uh, at the end of the pandemic. And then also it sells essentials and it sells them at cost to consumers. So they are quite well positioned to do well in a recession. But then we also see some more niche players do well in recessions. Alcohol stocks, which we just updated in our shortlist um, last week, tend to do well because people stop going to bars and they want to drink more at home. Mm. Shout out to Jack, our intern, who was helping with that. Yeah. Good job, Jack. And uh, actually, our stock of the month for this month was selected because it is a recession-proof play that you might not expect. So maybe go on the app and, and have a read of that one. There you go. Always be closing. Um, very good, then. We're going to move on to our elevator pitch, then. So Rory, Amory, I'll start with Rory. Uh, what company is on your watch list at the minute? I'm taking a look at um, On Holdings. Its ticker symbol is O-N-O-N. It's a sports apparel maker based out of Switzerland. Um, it's a pretty young company. It was founded in 2010 by a guy called... Olivier Bernard, former Ironman champion. Um, and it's, I suppose, really their primary product is running shoes. They've kind of taken the Under Armour style approach here and where they're kind of combining technology that they've patented with, you know, a, a, a sports item that's, that people kind of, or that is ambiguous. Um, in their case, this technology is called Cloud Tech. They claim it cushions your landing while simultaneously giving you a good push off. Um, anyway, they've, they've gained quite a bit of traction in the athletic community due to a few big-name endorsements, most notably Roger Federer. Um, so, yeah, they're the company I'm going to eye in up at the moment. Interesting. Anne-Marie, what about you? What do you have for us? I have a second pitch of a company that I've been really interested in since it's backed about a year and a half ago, and then Emmett stole it from me, so that's kind of, you know, put me off a bit. But I'm very interested in them of late because it's in – pet it's in the pet world and pet spending also tends to be quite recession proof so i want to take a second look at BarkBox. this might be a little bit premature because i want to see their next quarterly report to see how recession proof they really are um but the reason i'm quite interested in them is they're pushing into a number of new verticals they've in the last six to 12 months have really pushed into dog food and then also like dog dental care which to me is a much more attractive long-term um, proposition than a company that just sends out boxes of dog toys. But their last quarterly report looked pretty impressive. They decreased their marketing expense, and yet they had revenue growth of 35%, and their customer acquisition cost was down 15%. So clearly, they're continuing to grow, um, and they have pretty good brand recognition. And Bark Brights, which is their dental care segment, uh, saw sales increase by 121% um, last quarter. So if they could replicate that with dog food, I think I would be very impressed by them and would be very excited for their future. So yeah, mm, keeping an sure, eye on Barkbox. Yeah. Dental and food would see, seems a lot more uh, like a necessity to to yep, make a definitely. recurring purchase. Rory, what was our what was our advertising pitch for Barkbox? Do you remember back? It was like just a fo- the video of the sad dog not getting the yeah. Box <laughs> yeah <it was. laughs> like, like, I just wouldn't. When I- it anticipates the day it comes and it just doesn't arrive. Yeah, when Amory first pitched it to me, I was like, what monster would cancel their dog's dog's toy subscription? Right. Both good companies, but uh, I'm going to go with Rory and On Holdings. Uh, Amory, you can come back after that earnings report and maybe get your day in the sun. Right, lads, if you're listening to the free version of Stack Club, this is where we'll leave you today. If you want to find out more about 
on holdings and what we think of it as a potential investment however jump on over to the my wall street app and you can listen to the rest of our conversation remember if you have any questions you'd like answered or elevator pitches you'd like us to tackle make sure to get in touch you can find us on twitter that's at my wall street hq on tiktok that's at my wall street or simply just email us at pod at my if you're enjoying the show make sure to tell friends about us and don't forget to leave a review for us on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on Thanks for joining us today, and we'll talk to you next week. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.